George Lawson, 1821, verses 20 and 21 of Proverbs 1. Wisdom cries without. She utters her voice in the streets, cries in the chief places of concourse. In the opening of the gates in the city, she utters her words, saying, Now how can wisdom cry? Is not wisdom a quality and not a person? Wisdom cries to men when God speaks to them, for he is a fountain of wisdom. The words of men may be wise, but when God speaks, wisdom itself addresses us. He opens his mouth in infinite wisdom and speaks to us by him who is the word and wisdom of God. He who despises that wisdom which is from above despises the Father and the Son and brands with the imputation of folly the emanations of unsearchable wisdom. Wisdom desires to be heard, and therefore does not speak in secret. She whispers not in the ears of a few favorites, but in public places of resort she proclaims to everyone that will listen to her interesting truths. She cries without in every place where a crowd is likely to be collected in the streets, in the chief place of concourse, in the gates, a place of judgment, and in every part of the city. No disobedient sinner can make a valid excuse for his conduct. The voice of wisdom is heard everywhere. It sounds from the pulpit. From every creature it is heard, Job 12, verses 7 and 8. The word is in our very hearts, and conscience echoes a voice to our souls. Let it go where we will, we must hear it unless we willfully shut our ears. And what does she say? Verse 22, How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity, and the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge? Had I a mountain for a pulpit, and a voice capable of reaching to the ends of the world, said a venerable father, I would preach on that text, O oh, you sons of men, how long will you love vanity? Wisdom proclaims the like words to all the world as far as her voice is heard. If persons ruin themselves by their folly, it will be no excuse to them that they were cheated by the great deceiver, who will excuse Eve for hearkening to the voice of the serpent, or Adam for hearkening to the voice of his wife in opposition to the voice of God. The simpleton and the fool are justly condemned, because they love simplicity and hate knowledge. So strongly are they bent upon their foolish courses that every suggestion of the devil meets with a cheerful compliance. Sin is loved with the whole heart, and those truths which might be the means of salvation are the objects of extreme aversion. Many are so mad upon their idols that they take pleasure in scoffing at holiness and at the preachers and professors of it. Some run to such a pitch in wickedness as to jest with the word of the Most High. Though safer far it were to sport with fire and death. Were the physician of souls like earthly physicians, he would leave such creatures to pine away in their sins until their obstinacy terminate in eternal death. But oh, how merciful is he! He is in earnest with them when he urges him to admit of his salutary medicines. It is a grief to him that they will not come to him for health. He cries to them, verse 23, Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my word to you. The lovers of folly must turn or perish, for Christ is an all-sufficient Savior from sin and wrath. But he will deliver none to continue in their abominations. Except you repent, you shall all perish. 
to lovers of sin and those that delight in scorning are graciously called by him to turn. Plain evidence that there is pardoning and saving mercy for these worst of sinners, Isaiah 55, verse 7. Even scoffers at religion are among the number of those sinners whom the Son of Man called to repentance when he came to seek and to save the lost. Such profligates have for the most part an intention to turn from their evil ways at some future but indefinite period. But if they don't turn at present, they refuse to hear the voice of wisdom. Turn ye, says the wisdom of God, at my reproof. Today, says the Spirit, if you will hear my voice, harden not your hearts. We harden our hearts when we intend to take our pleasure in sin today, though we resolve to hear the voice of God tomorrow. The reproof of wisdom is a means of alarming us and of impressing our souls with a sense of the necessity of turning. If we harden our hearts against these reproofs while they are sounding in our ears, the impression is not likely to be deeper or stronger when the bustle and noise of the world have helped us to forget the awful admonition. It is at the reproof of the word of God that we are called to turn. It is brutish for a son to despise the reproof of a parent. It is devilish for a creature to despise the reproof of its creator. It is a sin which devils could never commit for a guilty creature to shut his ears against the reproof of a savior who addresses us in earnest and affectionate language and calls us to turn our feet from the paths of death. But how can fools turn? Are they not infatuated by sin? Are not their affections possessed with the love of it? Behold, I will pour out my spirit to you, says the Savior. By his influences, you shall be enabled to understand my words and to comply with them. Let not sinners imagine that it will excuse them to say they had no ability to repent. They were not called to turn by any power of their own, but in the strength of divine grace. They were unwilling and therefore unable. Their sins were so dear to them that they disliked the reproofs of Christ and resisted his spirit. Our Lord does not make a jest of the lovers of sin when he calls them to turn. His words do good even as sinners, or the fault is their own. John 5 verse 40 Do we then feel the necessity of turning and yet an unconquerable aversion to it in our hearts? Let us plead for the abundant communications of the enlightening and renewing spirit. If persons are made heartily willing to submit to his influence, it is a happy presage that he will be granted, or rather a sign that he has already begun to work. Jeremiah 31, 18-20 But there are many so foolishly devoted to sin that they reject the counsel of God, and instead of welcoming the good spirit, resist his motions till they provoke him to depart. The doom of such persons will be very terrible, but very just verses 24 to 27 because I have called and you refused I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded but you have said it not all my counsel and would none of my reproof I also will laugh at your calamity I will mock when your fear comes when your fear comes as a desolation and your destruction comes as a whirlwind when distress and anguish come upon you do none then or next to none regard the admonitions of wisdom strange are men enemies to themselves are they in love with destruction is it their joy to please the devil and the cross of benevolent intentions of a savior was the devil crucified for them or did they think the burnings of eternity and the pain of condemnation more tolerable than the tears of repentance or the self-denial which jesus prescribes 
John's disciples complained to him that all men went after Jesus. But John complained that few believed his report. No man receives his testimony. How wonderful is that grace which continues to deal with men when it is so ungratefully despised. The sin of unbelief and impenitence is exceeding great. Various are the forms of expression by which in the passage before us the wickedness of it is intimated. Any offense which he gives to him who comes in the name of the Lord to save us, pointed out. It is a refusal of divinity, gracious offers, and advice, a disregard of the most earnest importunities of the wisdom of God, a sovereign contempt of all the counsel of that wonderful counselor who is given to be the leader and commander of the people, a stubborn opposition of the will to the most needful and salutary reproof. Hear, O you heavens, and be horribly afraid. Rational creatures rebel against the father of spirits. Diseased sinners scorn the great physician and refuse to accept of that sovereign cure for all their maladies which he so graciously offers. Abhorring as they do the name of devils, they yet spurn at those compassions which devils can never experience. But let sinners remember that there is justice as well as grace in the Most High. Justice shall offend the contempt of mercy. Sinners feel some presage of that vengeance in their own guilty conscience. Fears of punishment often make them uneasy. They would gladly persuade themselves that these are but the tears of a distempered fancy. But the day is coming when they will find them to be terrible realities. Or if they want truth, it is because they are nothing to that vengeance which is their object. No passion is so tormenting as fear, but no fear can equal the power of God's anger. The fear of sinners shall come upon them, and their feet shall slide in due time. It shall come like a desolating judgment, which with resistless violence lays waste a country. It shall come like a raging tempest and a furious whirlwind. It once sweeping away every comfort and every hope. Then shall distress and anguish cease upon the mind of the stubborn transgressor when he feels himself involved in remediless sorrow. This threatening will have its great accomplishment in the everlasting world when the torrents of wrath shall swallow up the impenitent sinner and a whirlwind of fury shall beat upon him with ceaseless violence. Wrath and indignation shall press him down in the lake of fire. Anguish and despair shall prey upon his soul without the intermission of a moment. No ray of hope shall ever enter into the abodes of darkness and of horror. But will the poor victim of suffering find no pity from the Savior of men? No, says the Spirit of God. I will laugh at your calamity and mock when your fear comes. With relentless eye shall he behold that terrible vengeance which now overtakes the wicked. God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they should turn away and live. Yet he will take pleasure in the death of them that turn not. For in this manner is his justice glorified, and the dishonors done to his love repaired. God sometimes laughs at the trial of the innocent. He took pleasure in bruising his own son. He is comforted in the ruin of the wicked, Job 9, verse 3, Isaiah 53, verse 10, Ezekiel 5, verse 13. But may not prayer avail in this deplorable condition? By no means. Verse 28, Then they shall call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, i.e. earnestly, but they shall not find me. The prayer of faith is ever heard, and they that seek God shall find him, and they seek him with all their heart. But the prayers of these desperate rebels are like the howlings of a dog. 
They are cries extorted by strong necessity and intolerable anguish. They are the cries of such as sought not the Lord whilst he was to be found, or called on him whilst he was near. Sinners miserably delude their own souls by proposing to live in the indulgence of their sins or die in the exercise of repentance. True repentance is never too late, but late repentance is seldom true. Christ is not every day hanging on the cross, nor are there thieves every day converted and sent from the place of punishment to the paradise above. Prayers are of no use in the eternal world. The day of grace is at an end, and the wretched shall cry in vain to the rocks and mountains to fall upon them, and hide them from the wrath of the Lord God and of the Lamb. Behold, now is the accepted time, now the Lord awaits to be gracious. But the day is coming that is cruel with wrath and fierce anguish. No place shall then be found for mercy, though sought with an ocean of tears. But why does he who takes pleasure in the voice of prayer and listens so graciously to the cry of the supplicant, why does he refuse to accept the petition of those who are reduced to such an extremity of distress? The reason is, for that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would none of my counsel, they despised all my reproof. The punishment is indeed tremendous, but the sin that causes it is atrocious. It is no less than a contempt and hatred of the counsels of the Lord. What is this but an undeniable proof of enmity against God himself? And will not God ease himself of his adversaries and avenge himself of his enemies? When men do not choose the fear of the Lord, but prefer to it the base pleasures of sin, they give plain proof of their hatred to everything that is good, and how can they escape the damnation of hell? If we think that the punishment is greater than the sin, the reason is that we are under the power of iniquity. Self-love disposes a malefactor to prescribe to his judge. Let us impartially consider what malignity lies in impenitence and what a complication of wickedness is contained in the rejection of the great salvation. And we must acknowledge that the ruin of sinners is entirely owing to themselves. God is not to be blamed, but on the contrary, he will be eternally glorious as their avenger. His insult and mercy will be glorious in the punishment of his despisers. His justice shall shine in dispensing to the workers of iniquity the reward of their works. They despised all my reproof. Verse 31, Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way, and be filled with their own devices. They laughed at God's threatenings, as if they had been idle tales, and God shall laugh at them. They despise his counsels, and he shall despise their prayers. They were always the same, and continued unchanged after all the admonition. And God will prove an immutable avenger, and will pay no regard to their cries for help. They took pleasure in sin, and God will take pleasure in punishing on account of it. If a man plants and dresses a poisonous tree in his garden, it is just that he should be obliged to eat of its fruit. If our vine is the vine of Sodom, and our clusters the clusters of bitterness, we must leave our complaint on ourselves, if we must drink till we are drunken and fall and rise no more. Sinners never think they have drunk deep enough of the poison cup of sin, but they shall at length be filled with it. Then shall it satiate them, when they find that intolerable misery as its native consequence. That cup which now delights the lover of evil will then be found a cup of fury, and the wicked of the earth must drink it down to its bitterest dregs. 
verse 32, For the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. The sins of men, unless pardoned through the blood of Christ, shall be their destruction. For he that turns away from God and his law turns his back upon happiness. And he that cherishes iniquity warms in his bosom the most venomous of serpents. Job 20 verse 11 Sinners owe their ruin to their willful hardness of heart, their abuse of mercy and their indifference about salvation. It may be alleged that sinners often prosper, but their prosperity is a part of their misery, for it will increase their guilt and render their damnation terrible. It nourishes their vicious affections and tends to inspire them with pride and insolence, with sensuality and earthliness of mind. It is so strong a temptation that our Lord has declared it almost impossible for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. The saying has been justified by fat. In times of persecution, the prosperous have been ordinarily the apostates who made shipwreck of the faith, while the poor loved the world less and stood out more firmly against temptation. If the prosperity of fools leads them to the indulgence of sin and the neglect of holiness, it renders their damnation more certain and more dreadful. Their provocations are like those of the Israelites who provoked God by turning the Egyptian gold and silver, which he had given them, into an idol of jealousy. They are like the impious ingratitude of Jeroboam, the sons of Nebat, whom God raised to a throne, but who degraded God into the image of a four-footed beast. When the favors of God are turned into means and instruments of unrighteousness, Oh, what wrath is then treasured up against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. But the prosperity of the wise has a very opposite tendency. When they act like themselves, it excites their gratitude. It stimulates them to serve God more effectually and to do good to men more diligently. Wisdom teaches those who hearken to her voice to make to themselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness so that while riches serve to expose the folly of the foolish, they prove a crown to the wise. But though disciples of wisdom should never attain prosperity, they are happy. For, says wisdom, but whoso hearkens unto me shall dwell safely, and shall be quiet from the fear of evil. They that love knowledge and choose the fear of the Lord and value the instructions of wisdom more than thousands of gold and silver are the men that hearken to wisdom, verses 29 and verse 30. Many of these once loved folly and took pleasure in scorning, but they have received the atonement and all their unrighteousnesses are blotted out. They now share in the privileges of the children of wisdom and while prosperous sinners are set in slippery places, they dwell safely for they dwell in God and God dwells in them. They are safe from the devil and from the power of sin, from death and from hell. They may endure tribulation in the world, but in Christ they shall have peace. They enjoy quiet consciences and pleasant hopes. They are quiet, but not only from evil, but from the fear of evil. They may indeed have fears, but they are clouds that shall soon be blown away and succeeded by everlasting serenity. Even while these fears continue, they have a refuge where they can find safety and hope sufficient to give them such happiness as worldly men cannot enjoy amid their ill-grounded confidence. Paul had often fightings without and fears within, but this was his comfort that nothing could separate him from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Let us examine ourselves impartially, whether we are the despisers or the lovers of wisdom.
The question is not whether we attend the means of grace and make a profession of religion. Herod heard John gladly and did many things. Ananias and Sapphira parted with a considerable share of their substance. But do we choose the fear of the Lord? Do we value Christ above the whole world? Do we prefer holiness and its most painful exercises to the most pleasant sins? Are we yet despisers of wisdom? Let us tremble at the vengeance threatened. Let our prayers ascend upon high that the Lord by His Spirit would open our hearts that we may attend to the dictates of heavenly wisdom. Are we lovers of wisdom? Let us bless God who has opened our ears to discipline and sealed our instruction. Let us thankfully rejoice in the blessings that wisdom bestows. Let us testify our regard to wisdom in a manner directed in the succeeding chapter. In vain do we pretend to religion unless that which we call by this honorable name be approved by that word in which we must be judged. <laughs>